With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It's Saturday, May 15th, and we've got a great interview for you this weekend. It is with Ellen Bennett. She is an author. She is a owner. She is an all-around amazing and inspirational character. I hate to even call her an entrepreneur because that's not really how she describes herself. She wrote a book called Dream First, Details Later, How to Quit Overthinking and Make It Happen. And without robbing you too much of all this great content, I just want you to know that what is fascinating about her is how she became the person she is now and the risks that she took that I think were really nurtured by a mother who gave her an enormous amount of trust and fostered her independence. So here is part one of our interview with Ellen Bennett. The name of the book is Dream First, Details Later, and we are talking to Ellen Bennett. So first, let me begin by saying welcome. And Ellen, tell us a little bit about your journey. So I love the backstory. Raised by a single mom or divorced parents? Like how, I didn't hear you talk about the dad so much in, the, in some of the other stuff. Uh, my dad is, you know, great guy, but yes, definitely was very much not not present after my parents got divorced. So yeah, I was raised by my amazing single Mexican mama who they got divorced when I was about nine. And I essentially became her right hand in many ways because she let it happen. She just let me try things and show up and started letting me write the checks to pay for the everything from the water bills to the electricity bills. And I was, I don't know, 13 years old and I had just learned how to write a check at school. So I was like, well, let me try to do this at home. And she was just so willing to let me explore life instead of hiding me from it or telling me, no, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to do everything for us. Like she didn't hide me from the challenge. Instead, she let me embrace it and lean into it. She just set such a great example of somebody who didn't have a lot of resources and yet made stuff happen every day by being really freaking resourceful. 
and mm. figuring things out with what she had and focused on what she had more than what she didn't have, which I think has been a really incredible gift and a resource to myself because when I'm trying to figure something out, I'm not like, okay, first I need to go and get so many millions of dollars and then I need to get this and this and this. I look around at my life and I think, okay, what what is already there? What skills do I have and how can I put them into use to get the thing that I'm trying to get to? Your mom was a nurse, right? Yep. She was an RN. And you were not interested in going into healthcare? I loved food. I wanted to be in the food space and I didn't know how and I didn't know exactly in what capacity, but I loved making food. And I loved making food because she didn't cook and she'd come home late and she would just kind of poke around in the fridge and end up eating, I don't know, something like a Trader Joe's burrito or something. And I wanted to be able to make her food that that was good. And so I just started practicing. In the old days of AOL dial-up, I would go onto the internet and type in beef stew and find a recipe from like allrecipes.com and download it and then make that dish because I had seen it on TV. So I thought, let me try it. And I would just try it. And then she would come home, she would eat it and she'd say, oh, that was good. Okay, I'm going to bed now. And didn't make a fuss about it at all. I did the same thing with painting her living room. I painted her bedroom yellow. I just was really quite creative and she just let it happen. Well, isn't that amazing? Because in some respects, you would think that someone in her situation, and I've heard this a lot from people who grow up where, you know, it's not like you're not growing up poor, but you've got working parents and someone who's really like obviously pretty tough, mom's tough, and she's like managing the situation. I love that you're writing the checks to pay the bills. She didn't squash that creativity down. In other words, she could have totally been like, could you get a real, like, don't do that. Like you got to go to go to code camp or something wacky like that. And so she really helped you develop as a creative person. She didn't try to change your path, right? No, not at all. And she allowed me to be me and in whatever quirky way that was blooming, right? From wanting to paint her bedroom yellow to making randomly huge batches of bagels because I hadn't checked the serving sizes. She didn't really care. She was just happy to see me doing things that made me a productive young little human and never ever questioned that I was too young to do something. So the whole check thing to her was just like, yeah, of course you just, you know, you do what you need to do to help in whatever situation. And that made me extraordinarily aware of my surroundings. She was like a master delegator. Like, (laughs) you know what? I don't have time for this. You cook, you do the bills. I'll go make some money. I'm going to save some lives, but uh, I'll see you later tonight. Well, if she had told me to do it, I don't even know if I would have done it. It was the fact that she just allowed it to happen. That was kind of the beauty. That is awesome. So you develop in sort of this sort of loose way as this creative person, creative process. So talk a little bit about, you grew up in LA, right? Yep. So talk about what happens after, you know, sort of as you're going through high school, how are you nurturing this creative side and what push and pull are you feeling about like where you need to go next? After they got divorced, it was kind of like our our whole life exploded before us, right? And what was there was no longer there and you kind of had to rewrite the journey. And as a really young kid, I sort of felt that I needed to commandeer whatever was going to happen. And I needed to 
find my own way in the world in some capacity because I wasn't going to wait around to have that happen to me. Like I, that was the thing. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I need to just find my own path too. So I had this like deeply rooted decision to just be independent and you know, one day I was going to marry somebody that I loved and I wasn't going to need them for any financial reasons. I literally was just going to marry them and it was going to be great. And I was going to be independent and have my own, whatever it was, it was going to be my own. And I was like nine years old when I (laughs) decided this. And so as I went through high school and middle school and all this stuff, I was so different from the other kids. And I was like trying to be like the other crayons in the Crayola box, if you will. And yet I wasn't, I wasn't the same type of person as everybody else. And so when I turned 18, I still didn't quite fit in. All of my friends wanted to be actors and I, you know, I lived in LA, but I had been going to Mexico because I'm half Mexican for many, many years since I was little. So I'd go for like three to four months during the summer. It was the best time of my life. And people were so alive and friendly and really connected to just their roots versus material. And I loved that about Mexico. And so I turned 18 and I told my mom, I'm going to go to Mexico for a couple of months, Mexico City. And she was like, okay, that sounds like a great idea. You should totally do that. It's different place. You'll be in a different environment. It'll be awesome for you. So I was like, great. I go to Mexico City. I have no family there. All of my family is in other parts of Mexico. And I, I show up. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. Like I've actually been like really Latin the whole time. I'm not weird. I'm just Latin. I'm just, (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, these are my people. Like everyone is alive and friendly and they hug each other and they're excited and enthusiastic and they fill the airwaves with their energy. And like, that is okay. It's not weird. It's normal. And it just made something like spark inside me. So I ended up staying in Mexico for four years uh, from 18 to 22. And my mother at this point was obviously like, okay, I think you need to come home now. Like you've been there for two months, please come home. And at this moment I was like, nope, I'm getting my Mexican citizenship. I'm going to sign up for the Mexican IRS. I'm going to get a house. We're going to do everything. And so, you know, she couldn't support me to do this. So I actually had the greatest kind of pre-MBA into life by living in a foreign country by myself and having to build something out of nothing with zero safety net. It's amazing. And so there you worked in restaurants, but you did some other things. And I just want to give you the opportunity right now to give us your very best lottery announcement voice right now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. And the reason Jill is asking me to do this is because one of my 8 million jobs while I was getting my way through culinary school and everything else I did in Mexico was being a lottery announcer on television. By the way, what is what is the lottery amount that we want to announce today? We're going to announce 49 million pesos. And which is how much in dollars, please? That's actually not that much money. So maybe maybe I should bump bump a zero on there. 490 right. million pesos. Okay, let's do 490 million pesos. And this is our guest, Ellen Bennett, who is not a lottery announcer, who yeah, is an amazing entrepreneur, who is um, a creative goddess. And we're going to talk about her company, but this is Ellen Bennett's lottery announcement for the Jill on Money Show. You ready? Here we go. In three, two one. 
Bienvenidos a su sorteo Trish Extra y Clásico. Estamos ante la presencia de la inspectora de la Secretaría de Gobernación. Estos son los números ganadores. Mucha suerte a todos. 8, 5, 4, 7, 10. ¡Felicidades! Y recuerda que con pronósticos ayudas a los que menos tienen y más lo necesitan. ¡Juégatela con México! I just want to say, I feel like I won. I'm pretty sure I just won. Jill, sure. you have just won 490 million pesos. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Um, okay. So you spend these four years in Mexico, you do your dream, you get the culinary school because I imagine, I mean, there aren't that many culinary schools in the United States, but they're all super expensive. Is that why you ended up doing it in Mexico? They're super expensive, but on top of that, they're kind of unattainable in so many ways. You have to work at certain restaurants to then be able to get in. And it wasn't in the cards for me to do that. And I will say, if I hadn't moved to Mexico City, I don't know that I would have had all these quirky opportunities to do everything from announce the lottery to, you know, be an English tutor, or I was a simultaneous translator for the Mexican Railroad Union. Like, who does that? Each one of those weird jobs actually was a step on the journey of becoming an entrepreneur. And a lot of times people think it's just a straight path, but that is so freaking wrong. Like a mm. path to getting anywhere is windy. And so when you're trying to stay on some straight path and you hit a bump, you think you're a failure because it's windy. And it's like, no, that's actually the journey you're supposed to be on. So I, I credit my wild adventures to a lot of the skills that I learned to be able to survive and thrive having my own company. And I also love that you basically said like, I'll figure it out. Like you don't have to have a Harvard Business School plan of action. You you took what you had. You knew you were creative. You knew you were scrappy. You knew you were smart. It's amazing to me that what you're hearing in this is that you, if you're listening, you or your kid does not have to go the route that everyone else goes that you hear about. Oh, I went to Wharton. I went to Harvard Business School. I went to Stanford. Yeah. Then I got an angel investor and then I did this and then I did it. So it's you are so inspirational. So you come back from Mexico and you go back to LA, you go back with mom. Is that what happens? You're living with mom? Yes. Yeah, so I, I'm there in Mexico for four years. By the time I leave Mexico, I think this is really important. I had built a whole world, a whole life. I was making a lot of money and I had done it myself and like created this world. I had a boyfriend, I had a house, I had essentially a career. And I was 22 years old and I looked around and I was like, awesome, I did it, right? And I kind of questioned it. And I was like, really? You're 22 and you've made it, quote unquote, air quotes. And I thought, no, it can't possibly be this easy. Like there's, and it, it, it had been anything but easy, Jill. Like this was a long and windy crazy road and I had been hustled and I got hustled and there were just so many things that went right and wrong in Mexico. But I realized that it couldn't be the end all be all. I had all these material things, but yet I hadn't gone and done something with my actual culinary, you know, dreams. So at that moment, I decided to sell everything and move back to LA after having all these experiences. And that was such a beautiful and important moment in my journey because I recognized and put a stamp on the fact that it wasn't the material things that I was taking back from Mexico. It was actually the four years of hard-earned 
blows and accomplishments and successes and failures that I was taking home. And so I was like this new person, even though I was returning to live with my mother in LA, almost like starting from the ground up all over again. But yet I knew that if I could do it once and I could build it from zero once, I could do it again. So with that context, moved back to LA, moved in with my mother, literally went and got a job at a two Michelin star restaurant called Providence here in LA and at another restaurant uh, called Baco Mercat and as a personal chef for a family and started working, making like $10 an hour, climbing from ground zero in a restaurant to trying to become a chef there. Somewhere along that line is where Headley and Bennett, my apron and kitchen gear brand was born. So when you say like you just started there, so were you working as a sous chef and work your way up? Like, what's the dream? Like, I want to be the chef, the owner, the this, like, what did you think you wanted in that moment? Such a good question, because what I thought I wanted was to become a restaurateur. I wanted to have my own restaurants. So I thought, well, go work at a restaurant to really learn and absorb by osmosis everything that you heard about in school, but you didn't actually get to experience firsthand in every single shape and form. So I didn't know anybody in the restaurant industry, but I used the skills I had learned in Mexico, right? Show up, you audition for things, you try stuff out, you sell yourself in whatever role it is that you want to, you know, get. And you just talk to people face to face, look them in the eye and just show up and talk. And so I did that. I walked in through the back door of Providence and I walked up to the chef and I said, hey, my name's Ellen Bennett. I love your restaurant. Here's my resume, which was garbage, by the way. There was nothing good on that resume. And I was like, I, I, you know, I'm half Mexican and I have the work ethic to prove it. And I need you to give me an opportunity because I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And at this point, the entire kitchen had stopped working. It was just looking <laughs> at this girl who's giving, you know, this chef like the speech of a lifetime slash elevator pitch. And chef, who's this big behemoth man, was like, mm. Okay. All right. Why don't you come in on Friday? We'll give you a shot. And I was like, how about this? I'm like negotiating with the guy. I'm like, how about I come in Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then you can really see how I hustle. And he was like, okay, sounds good. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Okay. That's it for today's program. Tomorrow, we're going to hear about the rest of Ellen Bennett's journey about how she created this amazing business and some of the the traits that she thinks are really important if you too are going to own your own business. So stay tuned for that. That'll be part two tomorrow. As always, wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, and do me a favor, do something nice for someone else today. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.